0: hi welcome to the inspired painter podcast my name is jessica libor and i am a philadelphia-based artist curator and art professor as well as artist coach in this podcast i cover topics vital to the success of emerging and established artists like inspiration mindset art business relationships and artist career strategy you'll also hear interviews from art world luminaries who share their wisdom My goal for this podcast is for you to feel encouraged, inspired, and in control of your art career, and to help you become the best artist that you can be. Hello, Andrew. How are you?
1: Doing really well. How are you, Jess?
0: I am doing fabulous, fabulous. Um... I'm loving being here in Florida. If you hear the birds in the background, they're just tweeting in the trees like a tropical paradise. So pay them no mind. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. And um, Andrew, tell us about what you do, like your, your role and um, your experience in the finance industry.
1: Sure. So I am a financial advisor and coach. So the way I like to couch that is if you've ever heard of the movie, the horse whisperer, it's an older film with Robert Redford in the film, someone comes up to him and says, I hear you work with people who have horse problems. And he says, no, I work with horses who have people problems. So I'm fond of thinking, and and I actually tell this to my clients that they're hiring me more to manage them and their behavior around the money, not so much the money themselves. So we do that, we manage money for people, but I spend most of my time just helping people think through all of those decisions in life that come up that just about everything we do touches money. And I find the reward in this work comes from more taking that coaching approach with people. So I help people with investments and insurance and cash flow and debt and all that kind of stuff, but it's always through the lens of helping human beings just live their life with however they want and just try to that make sure that their money is set up to align with whomever they're trying to be. Mm. That's, that's me on the financial side. I also, I have a soft spot in my heart for artists when it comes to this kind of thing, because I do have a, a small creative bent. I, I write children's books and I'm also a professional voice actor. So uh, <laughs> I, I do those things on the side and they are sort of fun additional activities that I, I have a small business around, but they, they do give me a, a maybe a little bit better insight into the heart and mind of an artist than the average financial advisor.
0: Yes, yes, I love that. And I love your voiceover um, voice. Can you give like people just like a taste of it?
1: Sure, so we were talking before about introducing your podcast. So I would say something like, ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Libor. <laughs>
0: love it. That's amazing. Um, yes. And I know that you've done a lot of work with that, which is really interesting. And um, yeah, but so you work for a financial company. What financial company is that? And it's, what do you do for them? What's your role with them? Yeah.
1: So the, the firm is Strategies for Wealth.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. So
1: we have about 250 or so financial advisors in, I think we're in four or five locations. Uh, and I'm A financial advisor here. So, effectively, we all more or less are able to run our own practice, but we have a a strong community here to uh, work with one another, to help one another's clients, as some of us have different expertise in certain areas. So, I have colleagues that even though we might not do a lot of day to day business together, if I have a question and I know that they're particularly expert in a particular area, I can sort of call them in from the bullpen, ask for their assistance, get their insight, and move on. Like yesterday, I had a, a 45 minute call with, uh, an internal guy here around two specific clients. And for 45 minutes, we were just sort of hashing out what the best strategy for the client is. So that really gives me, it makes me a lot more powerful to my clients as well, because it's not just me that they're relying on. I have a whole bench of, of colleagues here that are, we're always ready to help one another. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It's so great. And, um, and so now thinking about like for artists, like financial advisors for artists, do you ever work with artists or is yep. that something that you see very rarely?
1: No, it's it's I found everyone can and I won't say always should, but can engage with a financial advisor. Unfortunately, our industry at times it seems makes one think that you should not speak to a financial advisor until you have a certain level of income or money. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's just patently false. There's plenty of us that will work with people who are what I'll call emerging wealthy. They are not yet wealthy, Mm -hmm. but they're working to build the habits and the structure and the systems to get there one day. So I take a lot of pride in the fact that a lot of my clients are of that emerging wealthy type. I have clients who are already wealthy and have, I I work in New York city. So I have clients that make a high income. I have clients that have a higher level of worth Mm -hmm. or or, or net worth, Mm -hmm. but I also have a lot of clients who are really young and just starting out and working to build that wealth. And for me, that, that is also enjoyable for, and it's a sustainable business, um, environment then for me, because as some of my older, wealthier clients matriculate out in life or are now in distribution phase and reducing the amount that they're working with me on because they're enjoying that in retirement, I have plenty of clients that I'm working with to help build up. And to me, that's that's a wonderful thing to see where, like last night, I was speaking with a, a 21-year-old young woman who just got her first job and she's a few months in And we're working through just all the aspects and the anxieties that go with money because no one teaches us Mm -hmm. this stuff. And so for me, I like to have that balance. I say, you know, most people, when they think about a financial advisor, they jump to the money Mm -hmm. and you'll hear often a financial advisor speak in terms of, oh, I work with clients who have X amount in net worth, or they'll Mm -hmm. say often, you know, high net worth individuals. It's a term that's bandied around. Whereas I like to say, instead of having a minimum level of assets or income to work with me, I ask for a minimum level of curiosity, commitment, coachability, and communicativeness. So if you're that kind of person, you're actually going to make my job really easy to help you because you're going to be more interested in your own financial future than I will be. So I'm there just more as guide and coach because you're going to be doing all the drills. You're going to be doing all of the actual Mm -hmm. effort. I'm just there to help guide that effort.
0: That's amazing. I love that. And I love your attitude with that. That's so like inclusive, which is really great. Um, Now, thinking about artists, a lot of the artists that I know um, are just really focused on um, sustaining themselves um, with their art. Um, Many of them have like part-time jobs on the side and then they're working on building up their art career, which takes a tremendous amount of like, Um, time and focus and effort and they oftentimes see really spotty results for a while so like sometimes they'll get you know a big sale and then other times they won't have like a sale for several months Um, so so what would you say if an artist came to you and they came to you in that sort of situation what and and they really had no background in like financial anything They didn't have any retirement accounts they had one bank account where they just put everything what would you say to them to start building like financial health what are some of like the basics
1: so i would start with the overarching theme that it's you want to have systems rather than goals Mm. that's a it's a big thing for goal setting and around this time of year you know, we're sitting down in coffee shops and thinking about our year ahead and trying to visualize that and dream board and goals are not bad. That's not the thing here. What's the thing is, we can get lost in those goals and not think about creating a sustainable system that not only helps us get to those benchmarks and achieve those goals, but then allow us to stay there. It's Mm -hmm. uh, thinking of the world, maybe more of sports than art. It's, for highly common for a typical uh, pick a random athlete for them to win the championship game the super bowl type once in their career it's really difficult to get to that level and then sustain that level mm-hmm. and you can see that whether it's an individual sport like boxing or ufc or in a team sport like baseball or football it's really hard to stay at the top and the teams that do we talk about forever like a michael jordan or a tom brady these are athletes where you know that Even if you're not into sports, you've heard about these. Mm -hmm. So the key is you want to create a system that will get you to that level and then allow you to stay there. And that can work on just the pure monetary level, but it can also work at, well, I'm trying to develop my art practice while Mm -hmm. also having this other gig that I'd like to eventually sunset and get rid of. Mm -hmm. Well, you can have that goal. But unless you're sitting down and talking through and thinking through, well, what's the system? What, what, what game am I up to here? Mm-hmm. Let me visualize that and now let me reverse engineer the steps to get from that goal that might be realistically, maybe not a year out, maybe more three, four, five years out. It's different for each person. But then to reverse engineer and back that down into, okay, what do I need to be doing every single day, every single week, every single month, every single quarter, every single year? to work toward that,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: for some of us, that might take six months, mm-hmm. and great preparation and opportunity meet. You happen to be at Art Basel, and you happen to strike up the right conversation, great. You might microwave the result a little quicker than someone else, mm-hmm. and uh, the person sitting next to them is equally qualified and equally as talented. That might take six years, mm-hmm. but if you have the system The system, it's sort of like running a marathon. You just have that cadence of, nope, if I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, I will get there. Mm -hmm. I will get there on my own time as God willing, all, all these other factors that show up in our lives. And then you're not comparing yourself to any other artist. You're not comparing yourself to any other race. You're not, as I often say, don't should on yourself. And we mm-hmm. live in a society where, oh, I should have more success. I should have more money. I should be like what I'm seeing on Instagram. I should. And this is where, as you've spoken about before on your podcast, the sort of social media diet, it has a significant impact when it comes to money because we often only see the external result of money, not the internal balance sheet. We'll often see that someone is has that nice car or is, has those nice Instagram posts, but we have no idea. I often do that. They are saddled with a significant amount of debt to fund that lifestyle or that they got lucky in life, if you will, from a financial standpoint and happened to have a family member who was quite wealthy and was able to gift them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's all very different. And we're trying to always then through social media we have this inkling to compare ourselves mm-hmm. to one another versus just create the system that works for me, given my capabilities and my lifestyle. And mm-hmm. then now start to build that cadence and that habitual mm-hmm. daily routine.
0: Yeah, that's that's so good. And some what are some of the um the good like financial habits that you would suggest?
1: So it all starts with cash flow. I would recommend everyone more or less master their cash flow because everyone wants to jump to talking about investing. That's those are the sexier topics. That's where your money can work for you. That's where you can build a retirement plan. So you may not always have to work forever or be able to stop doing the side job so you can pursue your, your passion around, especially in the arts. None of that will get there outside of you inheriting a lot of money from some wealthy uncle and god bless you if you, if you have that in your life most of us don't so mm-hmm. it has to generate from you and so mm-hmm. i would help have people focus on the fact that their ability to earn an income is the biggest financial asset that they will ever have in their life it's not mm-hmm. their home it's maybe 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 if some artwork that they sell one day that would be lovely but chances are it's your own ability to wake up every day and earn that income. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you wanna be focusing not just on your financial health, but your physical health, your mental health and your spiritual health. Those have to be working because if you break down, that income will likely go away. Especially if you were on a nice track, you were starting to be able to think about stopping the, well, I'll just keep calling it the side gig because that's how you're viewing it. it might be your full-time job right now, but you're thinking about sunsetting that but then if you get sick or injured or have mm-hmm. to stop everything to take care of an, of an ailing parent for two years, uh, that can all throw all of that off. And so it's yeah. all then surrounded by cash flow. And in our world, you earn money, whether you sell a piece of artwork one month or you have some regular paychecks coming in from the side job, all that flows into usually we earn it, it goes into a checking account. We then from that checking account, spend it on stuff to run our life, pay our rent, plan a trip, all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then whatever's left over at the end of the month, then we think about saving it. And maybe we just have a a savings account. Maybe we have a a couple savings accounts. Maybe we have some investment accounts some retirement things. There are lots lots of different financial options there, but we're doing things in the wrong order. Okay. The key is to really just invert those last two. You want to have it set up so that as you earn money, by default, it goes into a savings account. And then from that savings account, you've thought through, all right, what are my fixed expenses that I have every month that I know to the penny, like rent? What are my fluctuating expenses that I have every month, but they fluctuate, like groceries and restaurants? And then what are the fun stuff that I want to do that I may not do every single month?
0: So Mm -hmm. trips,
1: Christmas time gifts, all these kinds of birthdays. And then to map out that cash flow and then have that set up and say, great, I'm automatically saving everything into this savings account and then only sending out enough money on, say, the first of each month to run my life in a pre decided way because I've decided that no one else. And then what starts to happen is you tend to just spend whatever's in your checking account. Mm-hmm. So if you come up with a budget, and you say yep i can live off of that and that's then only what's in your checking you'll spend that and if it was that plus a thousand bucks you'll probably spend that extra thousand okay. because there's there's always a new email coming in with a discount code there's always an instagram post with you know 30 percent off if you click now there's always going to be a deal there's always going to be a reason to remove ourselves from our money that's how our economy works it's part of the beauty of capitalism but it can be that double-edged sword And when you are combine that with the shouldness of everything, then we start to spend more because, oh, I I deserve that or I should have that. I'm going to get that. So when you start to save first, it becomes an unconscious thing for you versus Mm -hmm. when you spend first, that's what becomes unconscious. And as with most other habits, the thing we're unconscious of, we tend to do more of because it's just them. Think of systems. That's them built into our system of daily life versus the things we have to think about and put that, that mental power, energy toward, those are the things we do less of because it takes that effort. So for most people, the, the system of, that the world gives us is earn it, spend it, then save it. And we tend to be unconscious about spending. So we tend to swipe our credit cards more, take a lot more ATM withdrawals. There's then a lot less savings. The average savings rate in the US is under 5%. Of gross income.
0: income
1: and with that kind of savings rate very few people will ever amount amass the amount of money needed to truly retire and not ever have to work again and oh, wow. still have an enjoyable life whereas yeah. when you, when you can flip that and make the savings unconscious and actually think through and spend the time to sit down and go through your cash flow that you plan for whether it be a, on a monthly basis or a quarterly or an annual it, it's different for everyone especially if you're an artist You might have a plan to say, well, no, I'm building out my artist career. Part of that dictates that I travel to an art show like your, you know, Art Basel or something like that once a quarter. So I have to build. So maybe it's better for me to look at my cash flow on a quarterly basis, knowing that I want to build in a couple thousand dollars to travel there and stay at a decent place close to the action and, you know, get the proper, you know, business cards or proper setup or whatever, so that then you can live out that life, but you've predetermined that. Then when that your friend comes in and says, Hey, we're going to this vacation and you look at your fun fund and realize "Ah, I either can't afford that. So no, I'm, I'm going to, it's Art Basel instead. And for you, maybe it's a no brainer to choose Art Basel over vacation with friends. Or you say, great, I'm going to go, but I can't do these extra excursions with you guys because I have this set aside in my fun fund for that, not this much. So, I'll, you know, you then just start having that system of checks and balances for yourself. And then there you go. Now you're building the habits and the cadence.
0: Yeah, that's, that's all really good. And um, I have so many questions um, and I guess, okay, so I want to touch on two things. I want to set up like a hypothetical situation and then have you kind of like um, give some advice about that. And then um, I also want to touch on like the more emotional aspect of money, which is that many artists um, kind of don't even like to look at money because number one, they feel like um, their art and their creative, their art and creativity is like this pure thing. And and then money is like, kind of like dirty. And um, I I hear that so much. They don't use the word dirty, but they use like, um, you know, or they feel that they're anti-capitalist or, you know, stuff like that, Um, like anti-establishment. But then there comes a problem where like, if they take that stance and then they're not being paid for their work, then how do they live? Um, so, so there's this cognitive dissonance that I hear happening. Um, so, so there's that happening, which I believe prevents them from actually taking powerful control of their, um, finances, because if, if, if finances are something that you find overwhelming, um, like you don't even know where to start, um, you're just going to avoid them, you know, and, and so I guess I'm wondering like, okay, I'm gonna go into a really, really specific situation. Um, this is not my situation, but um, it was very similar to my situation um, several years ago, like out of art school. <clears throat> and I would love to hear like your, your thoughts about like percentages and what to do with stuff. Um, so let's say that you get out of art school and you are making $500 a week. Um, let's say you have a side gig, you're making five hundred dollars a week, so it's two thousand dollars a month and you are um, you're also painting and and um, you know you're trying to build up your art career. How much of that like what 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 are the ideal percentages in order to start you know really saving even on that very small income um, to start saving for you know, a lifestyle that is more, um, you know, not as, so you don't really have to work <laughs> and you can invest. So what are the percentages and what you, what should you be doing with that? Like amounts, you know?
1: Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. Cause there's really two questions there. There's the, the ideal and the more, how to get started mm-hmm. the ideal, the, the number that I work to get most of my clients to, even if they know, that with their income and, and where they live that it may never be possible i still put it out there is around 30%. if you can save 30% of your gross income mm-hmm. you significantly reduce the opportunity of financial failure because then you have enough cash flow to put towards things like investments and be able to take on risk because you're you allow for that fluctuation in market based assets of any kind. You then have enough that you can set aside to put towards savings for emergencies or nearer term things coming up that you know you want to invest in your art practice or invest in experiences with friends and family and gifts and blah, blah, blah. And you then also have enough to get the right kinds of financial, insurance, and legal protections in place to protect yourself and your business so that should you ever be sued or get sick or injured that you still have money coming in
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you can't be producing that money or that you insulate yourself and protect yourself from say a lawsuit. Cause any of us can get sued for anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so there, there's that. If you can get to that level and sustain that kind of, of a level for a few decades what that does is two things. One, that leaves a lot more money around to be saved and invested and let that money grow for you and compound over 20, 30, 35, 40 years. What it also does is starts to train you to live off of less of your income. So, and I'm talking on a gross level, that 30%. So then what that's training you to do is whatever my salary is, whatever my income is, I'm automatically treating it like it's 70% of that. And I'm living within that. So that when I want to show up at retirement, I've trained myself and created those habits and behaviors over decades to live within 70% of whatever I make. So that then when you show up at retirement, it's a lot easier to take on the retirement aspects like every day is Saturday. You, You know, we're used to two days a week of weekends. Now you got into retirement where it's seven days a week for all kinds of leisure stuff. You allow for medical inflation, you know, and, and other healthcare costs and you allow for your health to be different. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, how to get started. And everyone wants to sort of jump and try to, we live in a society that we're always microwaving results. We want the yeah. 30, we want the 30 day diet, not the 30 year diet. <laughs> And with money, it's it's no different. It's, and that's why I'm so big on that word systems over so much goals. Everyone can have the goal of having this lovely retirement, but we want that system. So And the system starts with just starting. So you'll you'll see if, you know, when we've, you know, just to use a, a more health example, because that's a bit more visually visceral for people to grasp in their mind's eye, whenever you've seen sort of those transformation videos on YouTube or or Instagram, where someone has, say, lost a significant amount of weight and improved their heart and health conditions. And it all started with them just saying one day and just deciding I'm going to be healthy. I'm not yet where I'm going to be in a year or two or three, but I'm going to be healthy right now. Mm -hmm. And then they start acting as if they are that fit person inside of this unfit person's Body. And so, what do they do? They just start cultivating the habits of a healthy person and they start walking more, drinking more water. They start working out. They start being in conversation with healthy people. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite mantras is we become the conversations we have.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, that's so powerful. Oh, my Pe- gosh.
1: People who are healthy talk about health, mm-hmm. people who are wealthy talk about money and wealth, and not so much that they're talking about the Uh, have more money type conversation. They're just used to the conversation. They've gotten over that hurdle of the languaging around it. So then that person in their transformation, they might've started out doing that initial set of weights incorrectly. And then they get into a conversation with someone else at the gym and says, oh no, here, can you help me? I don't know what I'm doing. Now they start to build a community around that. Now, if you've ever been to a gym with really fit people, they love helping out those that, don't know exactly what they're doing. So now they have more energy to get to there because they're building that human component, that community component. But it all started with just once deciding to go. And with money, it's a lot easier to get from zero. It's a lot easier to, or actually a lot harder to go from zero to one than to go from one to 100. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: if your goal is to get to that 100 mark, it's a lot harder to just get started. So And yet it's the simplest because you can just decide it and say, I'm going to do this and you'll fail and you'll make mistakes and you'll learn and you'll calibrate and have to recalibrate over and over and over again and self-correct. But the more you are then in that conversation on a day-to-day basis, you will get to a hundred or something closer to that far quicker than Mm -hmm. someone who just has it as a goal, but never sits down to actually just start.
0: Right, right. So so um, so 30%, wow, that's, that's a lot. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a lot, and that's why I put it out there.
0: <clears throat>
1: a lot of times you'll hear people say 15 to 20%. Great. I'd rather you have right. it in your head that 30% is possible, because for a lot of people, it is possible as long as you talk about it. And okay. if you think that and know that 30% is possible, and then you end up landing at 15 to 20 you're going to be in wonderful shape compared to the average person that thinks around 15 and ends up around seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather expand that conversation, that opportunity, that option for people, even if because of their life circumstances, how much they earn, or whether one day they're going to have to take a lot of money to help care for mom or dad in, in in a home, however life shows up, they get into an accident or someone does sue them and blah, blah, blah. The key is that just know that that is a possibility, then it becomes much more of a potential reality rather than thinking, oh, that's never going to happen for me. And I love the, I love the Mark Twain quote, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Um, now, what would you say to somebody who says, um, you know, this all sounds great, but it sounds, like, it sounds like you're living in fear. It sounds like you're living in lack. And I just really want to like, feel like I'm living in abundance all the time, even when I, even, you know, and then more abundance will come to me. And I just I just don't want to like, have to like count my pennies. Yep. What, would you, what would you say to somebody like that?
1: So there are two mindsets you can come from with anything, let alone money. You can, as you talked, just talked about, you can come from a place of scarcity or come from a place of abundance. Mm-hmm. When you're coming from a place of scarcity with something, no matter what you have, it's never enough. If you're coming from a place of abundance with something, no matter what you have, it's always enough. Oh, Neither I, love that. Is...
0: I got chills. That was so good.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Neither is good or bad. So, so, if you're listening, don't put a label of well, that scarcity bad, abundance good. No, it's just does that serve me in this way? And I'll give you an example. I am scarce about my parents and how long they're going to live. They're healthy, but I know that they're going to die one day. We all do, none of us make it out of this alive. And I'm very scarce-minded about that. So yeah. what does that lead me to do? Knowing that, yeah, I'm, I can't be abundant, but they're not gonna live forever. So yeah. I take the time to make sure I go visit them more often, When I visited them this past weekend, and then I took them out to breakfast after we went to church on Sunday. And I try to have these moments with my parents, especially as one of six kids. I try to have some alone time with my parents just to have some different conversations versus when we're all gathering together in a massive family, as we always are, because I'm scarce minded about that. And I wanna build that conversation, that relationship with them. Mm. And that to me has led me to be a much more loving son because I'm being scarce minded about the time that I will have with them. So that serves me there. Versus abundance can serve really well when it comes to other things. Like I am abundant around my financial situation. And I'll just, but to be a bit more specific, I'm abundant around say clothes, Mm -hmm. whatever I have, it's enough. Mm
0: -hmm. I don't
1: need more clothes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking for opportunities in uh, Marie Kondo style to go through my apartment and does this thing still spark joy in my life? If it does right. not donate it. So during the pandemic, I'm not seeing a lot of clients in person. I'm not doing a lot of business lunches in New York city. I had 20, 25 some odd dress shirts that I had accumulated over the time. Cause that's sort of the uniform of a financial advisor. Right. And I, don- I donated them. My thought being, I can afford to rebuy shirts again one day if I need to. And these are collecting dust. And there are some people out there that might be trying to go on some job interviews now that could use a nice dress shirt to round that out and give them the confidence. Knowing that I come from a place of abundance with my clothes and with my money to afford future clothes, that I can give that away and I'll be abundant around that. Mm -hmm, So the key around abundance and scarcity with money is does that serve me here? And with money, scarcity can really help because if you're scarce-minded about money, you tend to have a higher rate of savings because you realize you live in the real world that my health may turn sour one day, taxes may be a lot higher in the future, Mm -hmm. risk can be all over the place with my practice and with however I've invested. So because I'm scarce around that, I gotta save a, a, a bit more and not just spend it all. Versus abundance can work really well, because you would then start to build that confidence of, yeah, I've got money keep coming in. So I want to not be so focused on the money. I want to be more focused on my my art and what I'm doing there. And and then you build that confidence and then you walk in with your chin held high. Then you're showing up differently at that meeting with a private investor or the gallerists or whatever. So that then that confidence might bleed over. So there's not a right or wrong here. I would just challenge you to, ask yourself, does this serve me here in whatever I'm trying to do? And then be turning off the switch of whether it should be turned to abundance or scarcity in all facets of your life to see, are are these serving me?
0: Oh, that is great. That's great. And it it makes me think of like, um, you know, do you go to the doctor every year? You know, most people go to the doctor for a checkup every year, and it's not like living in fear to go to the doctor every year. It's not living in fear to like go to the dentist, you know, a couple times a year for your checkup and to get your teeth cleaned. It's just, you're living in the real world where you realize that these things need to happen for maintenance, for, for healthy maintenance of your life. And um, it's not living in fear to like, to eat good food. It's not living in fear to exercise every day because that is the laws of the universe in that, you know when you exercise, your, your body's going to be healthier. It's just the way that, you know, that's the way that the body's created. And so it's not living in fear to like want to stay healthy and take those actions. So if you think of like, yes, I want to keep my body healthy by doing these things. Um, you can think of your finances in a similar way. Um, you know, you can you can think like, well, I'm going to this is Okay, so I'm going to give some examples of, about my own personal life, how I kind of got a hold of my finances in, in a more grown-up way. Um, because for many people, like growing up in high school, for a lot of people in America, um, you know, in high school and even some in college, you know, you don't really worry too much about money. Honestly, through college, when people take out loans, you don't even think about money because you're like, oh yeah, that's just a loan. The reality doesn't hit until after college. So um, what I did was, I I, um, I started a budget. So there's like so many apps out there that you can use. Um, Mint.com is really good. I don't know if you you know about that. And I, I want to ask your opinion about some that you suggest for for um, budgets. Um, but I have this little budget on my phone called Fudget, and um, and I just Anytime I'm out and I spend on something, I like write it down and I have my monthly tally, what's coming in, what's coming out. Um, Because, you know, many of us spend something every day and um, you don't realize how much that like actually adds up. So it's really for me about understanding where my money is going, how much I actually have, how much is coming in, how much is going out, just so I have a general idea of like what's going on. Um, and, and it's really the same thing with your diet, you know, you want to know what's going in. And, um, and so, so that's what I really did. And then I also, for artists, I think this is really, really important. I started, um, to keep a record of everything that I sold, like detailed records of all of my collectors. Um, I use something called artwork archive. And um, so in there, I write my expenses for my art. Um, There's sections for like where to keep your, um, where all your collector's information. And then also, you know, what the collector has bought, like the list of everything that they've bought, um, the date that they bought it, um, any discounts that they had. And then you can, you can filter it by month, like all the information. So you really know um, what's going on, like in your financial health, as an artist. And a lot of artists, I feel, have like a lot of resistance to this because it seems so like left-brained, but really it's, um, it allows you to focus on your art more because you actually feel like you have the other aspects of your life under control. Um, and like you said, once you have those systems in place, um, you can, you know then it becomes second nature. It's very difficult at first. It was um, it was definitely a learning curve, like, oh, this is like so much work. But then it just becomes second nature. Um, and and then you have this like wonderful system where you know if somebody asks like, did I did I purchase that? Did I ever get that? then you can you can go and you can look and you can see where you know your pieces are. You can see where you know in what museums they are. Did I ever get that piece back from that show? You know, um, it's very very important. So, so that's that's what I, I would say for artists. My two pieces of advice are a budget and keeping track of your artwork where it goes. Um, but that that's helped me a lot.
1: Yeah, and they, you know that your system is working for you when your concerned about the right things and consumed about the right things. I find if in your case, you just spoke to this, and this is a thing that I'm often coaching my clients around is to have their money set up in such a way that they're concerned with it, not consumed by it. And if you're consumed by it, that likely means something's off either. Maybe you're not saving enough, or maybe you, you know, have too much put at risk. And not enough in in promise based savings or you know you're walking around and you don't have proper protection in place but it's more of a subconscious thing that's eating and so you're consumed by it and I try to coach people around how to build out the right balance sheet and cash flow so that and it's their financial advisor telling them not to think so much about the money that they want to be concerned I want it to grow and have more there but you want to be consumed about the stuff that actually matters in life your yeah. health. Your God, your family, your art, your your passions, and what you, then you have like you've just mentioned, you then have a real system in place where you can focus more on your art and not the accounting of it all. Because right. as soon as I do a thing, I do this, 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 and this, and then I can put it down.
0: Right. And then
1: and you have these little moments, like every time a client sends me a file, I immediately download it, put it into their folder. I have a very specific naming scheme. So that three years from now, when they ask me about it, mm-hmm. as they're finishing their question, I have the file up because I have the right keywords in the file. So we, ha- I have systems for all of these kinds of things that take little moments of focus, but not the bigger consumption of my heart and soul every day. Wow. I get to be so much more focused on my family, my clients, my practice, doing setting aside time to do these kinds of podcasts so that this kind of message gets out to more people because I'm not consumed with my income or consumed with stuff that, you know, I have a system around so I can just be concerned with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. And, um, yeah, the other thing I would say as an artist, who's like, you know, you know, finances have not been like my second nature for most of my life, but I've had to learn it. And, um, and it is important and i would just say like if this is all overwhelming for you then take something and do something rather than like all of it and then you know you can you can add the other things as as you feel that you're able to but if you um like like maybe you could like download a budgeting app and just like you know start start like tallying what you spend every day or what you spend every week and that will that will start you you know, to be more conscious of your money, you know, um, and cause, cause we talked about a lot today. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And, uh, and, you know, it's, I, I was talking with a, a health coach friend of mine recently, and the question he often gets asked is by, by his clients is, well, what's the ideal workout plan? And he says the one that you'll stick to. Yes. There is, no, to answer your question from before, there is no perfect or ideal budgeting app. There's no perfect or ideal app for anything. Mm-hmm. The, the system you want to build in is the one that you can stick to. Mm-hmm. And for some of your listeners, that will be downloading an app and just starting that way. For some, it'll be seeking out a friend that they think is doing it pretty well. For others, it'll be seeking out a professional like me to just, all right, then sit down and privately talk with. But the key is that you just start and come up with something that you, and you can stick with on a recurring basis.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's so great. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to share with artists before we um, before we wrap it up today, Andrew?
1: There's there's so much to cover. I'll just leave you with one that I've leaned on the last two years, especially in the pandemic. And I love these dichotomies in, in words, uh, if you've not noticed already. And that is understanding the difference between opportunities and obstacles. So with something like when COVID hit, you can either, if you're obstacle-minded, you'll only ever see the obstacle. And then that now consumes your entire world. And now you can't be consumed by the things we were talking about earlier that maybe matter more. Whereas I try to be a lot more opportunity-focused in my life. So when an obstacle comes into my life, I treat it as okay, it's there, that that huge rocket boulder is now sitting in the road. I, as an opportunity-minded person, I'm able to see the obstacle, see the opportunities that still exist regardless of any obstacle, and now maybe the new opportunities that exist because of that obstacle. So one quick example in my specific work, I do 90 plus percent of my meetings now in person. So what that has given me is a lot more opportunity to have a lot more time every day for other things because I'm not spending two to three hours a day, tra- traipsing around New York city, up and down back to midtown for business lunches all over the place. And oh, you mean,
0: you mean you do them online? You said you do mm-hmm. 90% in person.
1: I'm oh, sorry, 90% over zoom, oh, okay. <laughs> 10%, 10% in person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, it feels like in person now because I'm doing, I've gotten so used to zoom and everyone is a lot more comfortable. But now I've reclaimed two to three hours every day. Mm -hmm. So now I take time in the midday every day to work out, have a nice lunch, and then come back into the office. And I find I have a much better cadence to my day without ruining the amount of effort I was putting in. So I would challenge your, your listeners to look at the money topic while it might be a mental obstacle for you now try to reframe that to, well, what opportunities is this presenting for me? Yeah. And what opportunities could it lead me to? And then from there, might give give you a better insight for each of you on yeah. where, where to start and just get started knowing that you'll fail. And so the key is, yeah, you, when, when we are talking money, you don't want to be starting by just randomly betting on some specific stock or crypto or anything like that. Wow. You want to be starting with an app, start with something that will gain you awareness. And then with that awareness, take that to someone you know or care about, someone that you trust or someone like me that's out there in the world of professional. Then with that knowledge and awareness of what you've got going on, share that with them and then start to build out that kind of conversation and go from there.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom and insight in this area. And I'm sure a lot of artists will as well. So um, thank you so much. And um, I will be speaking with you soon and um, I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you, this was great.
0: Awesome, talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Inspired Painter Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate you leaving a five-star review with your experience. This helps other people discover the podcast who might be encouraged by it as well. And if you are interested in booking a coaching call with me to create a plan for your art career and overcome limits that may be holding you back, please visit the link in the show notes or send me a DM on Instagram at Jessica Libor Studio. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, stay inspired.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. The Inspired Painter is not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Strategies for Wealth, and opinions stated are their own. Andrew Romano is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, and SIPC. Financial representative the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Strategies for Wealth is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0M79232. 2021-130114. Expires December 2023.